0: Welcome to the Funny Style Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Robinson. Today we have Matt Glidden and Rafiq Shaheen. So we started this conversation um, about Melbourne potentially getting a don't tell. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is exciting. Yeah, Yeah. exciting. And we shall see what happens. It's not anything, nothing said in stoner. Or maybe we shouldn't be talking about this at all. (laughs)
1: Does, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, I mean just saying that it's on the horizon is you're not yeah it anybody, is right? potentially yeah in potentially consideration, in
0: consideration. Yeah. <laughs> which now, would which would be a very big deal for this area absolutely yeah. um for at least for the comedy scene in this area yeah,
2: now, yeah. does Orlando have one or is it yeah orlando town? has one okay no
0: Tampa has one orlando, orlando has one um I think Saint Pete has one mm-hmm. South, Florida South Florida has Florida. one yeah I um, mean yeah, it's all over the state
2: Because I I could definitely see if they've got, like, you know, because I I talk about all the time, about, like, building a circuit. I could definitely see it being the kind of thing of, like, oh, cool, like, are you in with Don't Tell? You do Tampa, then, you know, in a couple months they put you up in Orlando, then they put you, you know— in this area and then you do South Florida and, you know, so on and so forth. Of course, a lot of the new
1: comics that I've seen that I had never seen before I've seen on Don't Tell YouTube clips. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But which is interesting because those clips that make it to Don't Tell's, like, national thing, Mm -hmm. I think those are usually recorded at the shows in California, like the actual Mm -hmm. original Don't Tell location. Yeah. I don't know that they pull them from the Don't Tells all over the country.
1: Yeah, I guess I just mean because it has the reach that it does, it shows up everywhere that if anyone's like curious about yeah. Comics, they could flow,
2: you know, spin through that and maybe
1: something else will pop off. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well,
2: I I mean so I think the bigger thing is is that if you do like if you do a don't tell, there's a better chance of getting on one of the ones in California. Yeah, for you sure. I mean? Any, yeah, exposure.
0: But you would have to you would have to reach out to them to actually get on one of the ones in California because I've, I've done what have I done three don't tells at this point mm-hmm. Um, but I mean it's the kind of thing where you have to find out who the person is that's mm-hmm. booking it halfway across the country to then make sure you know what I mean yeah <laughs> that yeah. you get, organize that in advance
1: which uh, yeah. which ones did you do
0: I did uh the South Florida one twice mm-hmm. and then I did Orlando nice so I haven't done the Tampa I haven't done the same but I, but I haven't reached out mm-hmm so, I mean, I might reach out and, you know, check that out. Because it's not, it's not a, it doesn't pay that much, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a great opportunity to be in front of a kind of packed out audience. Yeah. Um, fun show and, every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a fun show every time. And they provide really great video. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know.
2: And that that's a huge thing, you know, yeah. like I, I've gone back to, to, you know, my list of, Like pre-pandemic bookers, and like it's like three hundred some odd names and email addresses and everything like that, and like even now it's like every time I send out uh, a message, being like, hey, you know, I always go like, is this the video that's stopping me from getting booked, or is this the video that's getting me booked?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What I will say though, because I've noticed um, a lot of places now. Are starting to use the videos like a uh, as payment, where it's like, oh, come do the show. We don't pay, but you get really great video. Yeah, and fuck that. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the video stuff though is, it's two thousand and twenty three. Everybody has a four K camera on their cell phone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, now granted. It's it's a matter of a little bit of investment. I would probably invest in a probably an external microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you can I, get
2: like a plug and play though <laughs> off of Amazon for like forty bucks now
0: though. Yeah, and I mean that that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a it's not here in the office, but I have a uh, I have a four K um, like Lumix camera um, that I can film with with an external micro, The external microphone's up there, mm-hmm. but I mean that setup. I mean frankly you could film an entire comedy special on a DSLR camera. Yeah. With, you know, an external microphone. Just the mic right on top of the camera? Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. or you can you can I have cuz I have all the stuff to set up like a um to put it on a boom, mm-hmm. you know, and put on put the microphone on a tripod closer to the stage. Yeah. And then put the camera at the back of the room. You can do that as well.
1: How do you feel about the wireless mics? Like the little lapel mics? They're I feel cool. Like they
0: they're cool. It's just that it doesn't pick up the audience noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're showing clips like that, and it's literally just your voice, it sounds like you're bombing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because so the we, microphone's on you. We
1: got people that have two, and they will yeah. set one down like on the stool facing oh, okay. the audience.
2: Yeah.
0: But
1: I still don't. I feel like if you're gonna if
2: you're gonna do that, you got to spend the money on a higher quality mic. Well, so when you have a situation like that, the real benefit is the fact that you can intersplice both the audio coming from you and the audio from the audience, which is, like, a level more advanced than most comics are willing to put in. it all comes in on one feed. You know what I mean? But, like, like functionally, when you're recording, you Mm -hmm. know, like, however you set up the mic placement, you know, the live mic you can, as long as they get, you know, like if you're wearing the lapel mm-hmm. uh, version, you can ignore essentially whatever's coming out the live mic for whatever you're recording as long as you get the audience. Yeah. Because all you have to do is just slap those two together and it becomes like, oh, hey, we can hear the audience roaring and we can hear you yeah. and that's it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I it, mean, it definitely works.
0: The things that I've seen though is like the, the clips of just your phone from the back of the room, the qua- I mean, again, be- just because, well, I have an iPhone. Mm. I don't know about the Androids. They don't do the audio justice either. Yeah. phone. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, it's...
2: They're so, not designed for that, though. Yeah,
0: Road mic makes one that plugs directly into the phone mm-hmm. that, I mean, it upgrades it I don't want to say tenfold but mm-hmm. it's way 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 better. It just sits and it's back there with the phone pretty, and everything. Yeah, it's pretty much just all you need. Yeah, it's not a yeah. it's literally a it's like a there's a base to the microphone and then the microphone comes out and you can swivel it at like a 45 degree angle, 90 degree angle so it points f- directly forward yeah, and it mm-hmm. just literally plugs into the side of the phone and it's powered by the phone and it's super easy. Nice. Cuz I mean the technology now has gotten to the point where I don't know how much, it's got to be rough for like videographers mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. pretty much everybody can do high quality stuff from their phone.
2: So I, I would agree with you. The only thing I feel gets overlooked in this conversation all the time, which is where videographers really shine, is in the editing. Yeah. And, you know, part of what you like the Ali Sadiq thing you sent us today. Part of the most fascinating thing was watching the editing work in that special. Yeah, you yeah. know because it, it changes the story dramatically. Mm-hmm. You know when you're watching from the side or you're watching, you know, like the lower angle shots to be like, oh, this is his heroic moment and stuff like that.
1: I like that he added the uh perspective of the people that were there as well. A couple yeah. of different times.
0: Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does a nice really touch. good job of because it's weird because. He's already I so I have so what what would be your Mount Rushmore of storytelling comics?
2: I definitely Ali is up there. Chappelle,
1: obviously. <clears throat> I mean he's he's at the point where he, he could just tell us he doesn't have to get laughs to everyone for everyone to be in awe of the story he just told yeah I, well anyone. i think
2: ali is that's the part same the reason yeah. why i yeah. think ali is up there yeah uh, uh, like especially loss is a great example of a comedy special and i know this sounds counterintuitive a comedy special does not have to be funny the entire time yeah oh, for you sure. know it can be like a 70 30 thing well that was that
1: was you know very clear in in this second um in this part two of this one yeah. here yeah.
0: Because, like, one of the things that I, I enjoy about this particular special, so also, by the way, we're talking about yeah, Ali like Sadiq's <laughs> <Yeah>. Loss, <laughs> um, which is the second half of the Domino Effect yeah. special. Yes. Um, if, again, if you are a stand up comedian, you have to watch at least Loss. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you should really should watch both, but I mean, it's a masterclass in storytelling. And I mean, one of the things that that I'm struggling with now is I'm, I think I said this last time, even I'm kind of bored of just the laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to actually be able to say something Mm -hmm. of significance while I'm on stage and you watch Ali Sadiq and it's, it's almost more saying something than it is the laugh. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's very funny. I'm not saying it's not funny, but it's a, it's, if you removed all the jokes, it would still just be a powerful story. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: And he closes out, he doesn't even go for a punchline to close out the special. It's just yeah, but I, but it puts a ribbon on everything. Yeah, yeah. From the beginning.
2: That one thing I will definitely say is underplayed in Ali Sadiq's work is like not enough people give him credit for the way how he ends a set. Yeah. Like he, yeah. <laughs> it's not just that he doesn't go for the punchline. He will literally do a mic drop or how he moves off the stage in the middle of a sentence, mm-hmm. you know, to punctuate, like, this is the end of the tale, but the tale is still continuing. Yeah. yeah. You know? Uh,
0: and I find it interesting what they. I like watching what is sort of happening on sort of the cutting edge of stand up, you know? Um, if you look at. Um oh my god. Um Gerard Carmichael. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you either have seen his special Rothaniel. No. It is so one of the things that's interesting, because now I'm I'm starting to think about recording specials and you know what that stuff looks like. And Rothaniel's is beautifully directed. Mm-hmm. Which is something I never really paid attention to in comedy specials before. And I read this article about um Gerard Carmichael and his specials. And if you notice, if you ever watch a Gerard Carmichael special, it's very, it's, it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch, if you watch most standup specials, and this is what the article is breaking down. And I hadn't even noticed it until I read the article. And I was like, of course, most comedy specials, the camera's like swinging from like the back of the audience and then it swings around like it, literally the dynamic. camera moves around yeah, and there's yeah. all kinds of different angles for no reason like the angles have nothing to do a lot of times they take away from it because you're you're locked in listening to what the comic is saying and then boom they switch to like three different mm, camera angles yeah. and you're distracted by the changes in camera angle if you watch Gerard Carmichael's is the last two that he did but the Rothenian one's really good It's, they kept it dark, and that's the other thing. Audiences, as we know, are more comfortable and willing to laugh and really just enjoy the show when the room is dark. Mm -hmm. A lot of comedy specials, they want to show off how big the crowd is, which has nothing to do (laughs) with you watching and enjoying the special, but they like to do that. So a lot of times, specials are filmed in lit rooms, A lot of times you watch like a Chris Rock special, they're in, and again, it's Chris Rock, so it's in a stadium. So they want to show off the fact that he's this tiny man way down at the bottom and there's a huge audience of thousands of people. But it takes away from the viewing experience at home. Mm -hmm. And I think Gerard Carmichael's stuff was filmed in such a way where the main focus wasn't the people in the room. The main focus was the people at home and how they're going to experience the special. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's, the room is pitch black. He's under one single spotlight that's just on him. Mm -hmm. He's wearing this, like, bright red silk shirt, and the background is black. So, I mean, it's just... It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just him.
2: So, what, like, you can see this what you're talking about like from the beginning of comedy specials to now. And one of the things I liked about Loss is that it's essentially in black and white when he's telling previous events and then it will snap to color when it's somebody Current, in the yeah. present Interview, being interviewed, interviewed. About the story. Yeah. yeah. So you get that sense of like, this is what happened previously, this is what's happening now, Mm -hmm. you know? And when you go back in the era, like the time of uh, comedy specials from beginning to end, you know, when you go back to see like the first Eddie Murphy special, the camera is set up to which Eddie is the primary focus what you're talking about. Yeah. When you yeah. see Eddie on stage, you're just looking at Eddie. Mm. You're not looking at the audience when you go to like the Comedy Central specials of like the 90s and early 2000s, you're watching just Jim Gaffigan on stage as though you were seated in the audience looking at him. But then you know, once you start getting into like the 2007 era, you start noticing that's when we start getting more dynamic camera angles. I think Kevin and Hart has more... a big
0: influence on that also. Yeah. And his Dane Cook. Oh, Dan Cook. I forgot yeah. about Dan Cook. Yeah. I think yeah.
2: Vicious Circle is really the point that you can kind of like Nail it down of like oh this is when we start shifting in the camera around the comic yeah. To Dan kinda... Dan
1: Cook's kind of been that energetic, flashy dude from day one though yeah. Like, even the the Comedy Central special that was the first one that he was with the dark black tank top and yeah. and all the craziness all the way into Vicious Circle which
2: was the one that he was in the arena right yeah. And well so part of the uh, so like this is something that should be talked about like just on a vi- like video level in general like the camera tells a story in itself mm-hmm. you know
1: so or at the very least invokes an emotion
2: in the spectator right so what you know kind of what i was talking about like one of the beauty th- beautiful things about loss is the like the camera angles highlight the story that's being told so you know there like when you see ali talking about the loss of his sister the camera placement focuses slightly to the left and on his face. Mm -hmm. So when you see him cry, you're getting a full facial angle of this dude who's shown himself throughout the special being hard as being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, you know, and this is not shitting on anyone's skill, but like with a lot of modern comedy specials, it's like, oh, this dude's trying to, you know, kind of, again, like, oh, it's Tiny Chris Rock versus the huge audience. Let's show shifting angles and stuff like that. And it's like that doesn't really connect with the story that Chris is telling. It might be more dynamic because of his style is more energetic, yeah. but it's not connecting with the story itself. Yeah, and you're talking
1: about raw skill, <clears throat> the fact that he's able to go from that part of the story bring the audience as far down to the depths as he possibly could go with them and then come right out of that with a laugh. Yeah. yeah. It just <laughs> emanates talent right there. That was that was really cool. And watching
0: it I was <laughs> noticed one of the things that I noticed was just in terms of timing because mm-hmm. like a lot of times when you're on stage you got to figure out like if you if you need to take a drink of water. Yeah. It's like all right, when is the moment where I'm going to be able to take a pause yeah. and actually drink some water. Mm-hmm. When is the moment like I've I've been on stage like like you have to cough and it's like I I got to you know struggle through and get to the punchline and then while they're laughing yeah. I can cough. Mm-hmm. And Ali at that point in the special his like his face is covered in tears and snot and all kinds of shit. Yeah, and that it, yeah, and that joke about the, the guy cooking crack in a Speedo, mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew it was going to be strong enough that this moment would give me enough laughter that I could turn around, grab the towel, wipe my face off, and then get back. So it's just yeah, mm-hmm. masterful just in every single way.
2: It should also be said, and another thing skill-wise for him, is he's very comfortable sitting in a pause. Yeah. So oh, he yeah. does that, that bit. Clear through the whole thing. <laughs> clears his face and then pauses again where you get another smaller but another roll of audience laughter for him yeah. to wipe his face a second time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... At at my level, if I were to tell the same stories that he did in that special, I'd probably get twenty, <laughs> 20 minutes out of yeah. it. You know? <laughs> like, there's a lot of pause and a lot of letting the audience sit in the emotion of what he just said and yeah. puts everybody there. Yeah, to, really cool. to
2: be fair, if you were telling stories about <laughs> selling crack in the 80s, nobody would believe you. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, "This boy?" <laughs>
0: but we I I I got sidetracked from what's a, who's everybody's Mount Rushmore of storytelling comics. Yeah.
2: I think underrated who should be up there is uh, Mike Berbiglia. All okay. right. Mike Berbiglia is a master for storyteller from beginning to end Mm -hmm. you know uh his special uh my girlfriend's uh boyfriend i think that was the name (laughs) of it or like the other one he tells this entire story of him in like from beginning to end the entire special is essentially one long story about him in high school dating a girl who had a boyfriend (laughs) and having to meet his girlfriend's boyfriend's parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's a solid story. And, you know, when you look for storytellers, I think, especially in comedy, something that gets overlooked is storytellers need to be funny throughout the entire special, but it needs to have, you know, kind of to what Chris was saying, it needs to have something to say. And Mike Berbiglia's stories functionally always have something to say about him. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that I I always I question, right? Because my my oh, what well, you gave me one, Matt Rosman was four.
2: Okay, <laughs> I Ali Chappelle, uh, um I'm trying to there like so I I always go back to because like I'm a big fan of storytellers in general. Um and uh, what is his name? It's something Washington. He's not really known as a comic, but he ran Snap Judgment on NPR forever. Mm -hmm. Super funny guy. Storytelling wise, he could take you and And this is kind of the masterful thing about his work. He would take you in the intro of Snap Judgment in, like, a 30-second clip and tell you about the story of, like, dating a Yakuza's girlfriend in Japan and roll that into what the entire episode was about. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of times where it's like, I don't want to hear the rest of these stories. I want to hear more <laughs> about like that relationship. Yeah. You know? Um, but it, I guess just as far as like pure comics go... Uh, God, that's driving
0: me crazy. What is his name?
2: I think it's like Irving Washington or something like that. Or...
0: I think you might be right. Hold on, I have a computer in front of me. But yeah, uh-huh. I'd Snap Judgment is probably... Top three greatest podcasts of all time. Yeah. And,
2: and if you are, if you're just learning, looking to learn storytelling skills, hands down would suggest listening to that. Yeah. Because even, even if you don't want to, if you want to focus on the comedic aspect of storytelling, mm-hmm. everyone that they have on there have the, it's not overproduced. Gl- Glenn Washington. Glenn Washington. Glenn Washington. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not overproduced, but it's produced at just the right pace to get a story from beginning to end and be fascinating the entire time.
0: I thought I, I, the name Glenn Washington popped into my head and that's also the name of a reggae singer. So I was like, <laughs> it can't be Glenn Washington. I'm, I'm remembering it wrong. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's the same name. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. I, I, Neil Brennan tells a good story too. Yeah. You know. Yeah, God. I think it's Ali,
1: Chappelle, Neil Brennan, and then you're uh, this guy, Burt Kreischer. Have you heard of The Machine Story? Pretty yes. Yeah. <laughs> top. Uh, that's probably top on the map, Mount, Mount Rushmore, over Chappelle. I, right.
2: I love Burt. <laughs> I really do. The only thing is, like, when you say storytelling, yeah, I, know. Just... I go, I don't know. I don't know if his in, or if his style could really be solidified as storytelling. Yeah. Well, here's, here's a, the he,
0: reason why I. I have a, it's questionable, right? Because, so here's my, like, top, which is very different from y'all's, actually. I actually put Louie in. It's, um, Ali Sadiq, Mm. Charlie Murphy, um, Joey Diaz.
2: Joey's good. That's a solid pick.
0: And to me, the greatest of all time is either Ali Sadiq or Bill Cosby. Which I know we're not supposed to talk about Bill (laughs) Cosby. (laughs) But Bill Cosby's ability to take just everyday boring stories. And if you listen to some old Bill Cosby albums, it's just him telling stories Mm -hmm. about growing up. And nothing spectacular happened to Bill Cosby growing up. But for some reason, he's able to make those stories. You're on your edge of your seat to listen to something. Otherwise, is completely boring. Yep. But my other, my question is, I wonder, because my way of getting better is I find a comic that's really good at some particular thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I do a deep dive on that person and try to learn as much of that skill set by observing them as possible. And in my quest to get better at storytelling, I've sort of did a deep dive into Ali Sadiq and Joey Diaz because those two in particular, and Charlie Murphy in a similar way there's a there's a rawness and just grittiness to their stories Mm -hmm. and my question becomes how much of it is skilled storytelling i'm not taking anything away from any of them i think Mm -hmm. they're all amazing but how much of it is skilled storytelling and then what percentage of it is your life was crazy Mm -hmm. so you have these stories that are powerful because the story is powerful. You know what I mean? So for for someone who d- didn't have those crazy experiences, that all, all three of those, because I mean, again, Charlie Murphy stories are, the story itself is insane. Yeah. yeah. Like any asshole off the street is going to be able to make those stories interesting mm-hmm. because they're, they're involving Prince and Rick James right. and like it, they're incredible <clears throat> stories then you add the fact that Charlie's really good at telling stories and it makes mm-hmm. it this magical thing. Right. Again, Ali Sadiq, his life story is fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Joey Diaz, another one, life story, fascinating, you know? And what I wonder sometimes is in order to really get to that level. Cause again, as I watch and study, I'm like, what can I emulate? And one of the things you can't emulate is the sort of hardcorness of the story itself.
2: I, I uh, understand what you're talking about, and I agree with that like 70% of the way. The only thing is another great storyteller that we didn't mention is Kyle Canain. Mm-hmm. and he, his stories don't necessarily have that grittiness to them. And really, when you talk about the act of comedy in general, or entertainment as a whole, you know, a lot of it is the juxtaposition between our position in life and the position of reality, I guess you would call it. So, when you're looking at uh, Ali or Joey, and they're telling these like very real, intense, deep stories, it's like... That certainly adds to the story. Talking about, you know, slinging dope on a street corner is something that most people don't experience. And the thing, though, is that you can take a dude from prison who slung dope, and you can get him on stage, and you can have him tell his story, and it may not resonate the same... To oh the for same sure. Depth. Right. Oh for sure. Yeah. But you can take that same dude, kind of put him in a storytelling class and definitely increase the viability of that. St- you know what I mean? Like if you took a dude and Ali and put them on stage to each other, you're never going to get the same effect twice, but you might get that guy like 80% of the way to being Ali. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if it's the life lived that makes the story per se, which is the reason why I go like, I'm up there with you 70%, but it certainly does help.
0: For sure. And there's a certain, because one of the, one of the things that made me study Ali so much was with my struggling with black audiences mm-hmm. because I'm like, all right, my jokes are sort of long form, <laughs> um, detailed you have to be paying attention the the punchlines don't come
1: hard and fast
0: mm-hmm. they're s- spread out over a, a short story setup
1: punchline structure and a lot of people say you got to be high energy in those audiences but yeah not when you watch Ali
0: exactly and what I th- what I think he gets is a certain level of there's a certain level of authority in how he tells a story mm-hmm. right and I Again, just in a quest to try and emulate that specific thing, you know. Um, one of the things that he does really well, which I think does give you, because the thing is, you you have to you have to let the audience know, hey, I'm I'm good. Mm-hmm. If you sit and be quiet, you are going to go on a ride that you're gonna enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how you get the audience, especially black audiences, is in that first. Fifteen seconds. Black audiences have no patience. Mm -hmm. And one thing Ali does really well is he gets up there, and usually the first thing he says is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Like he'll ask it in the form of a question. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: like have been duct taped. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, have you been been duct taped? And and now (laughs) just me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and now you have to shut up. Yeah, because you have to hear this story.
2: How did he get duct taped and thrown into? Yeah. So. mm Now I'll I'll definitely say this to what you're talking about both him and Joey, and a lot of storytellers in general. But definitely those two, they're both people who have absolute confidence in what they're about to say. Yeah. When you see Joey Diaz take a stage, Joey gets up there and he has no time for your bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> and the same or your opinion or anything. Yeah, else. he's he like most people talk about comedy as like this is a conversation between me and the audience. Yeah. Definitely with Joey and Ali, it's not a it's not a conversation. Yeah. It's hey man, you want to hear some crazy? Yeah. And that like the the following hour and a half is what that crazy thing is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Cuz yeah, that's the cuz I mean I the story I tell so the the because again, it's the question becomes: Is it, is it the the dramaticness of the story? So, like the, the two main sort of longer stories that I tell are my my experience of being a kid in New York on nine eleven, hmm. and my experience of being in a mental hospital right, when I was a so kid.
1: School, like, broke out and broke in.
0: Yeah, in that one. Like those those two are like the two stories. And if I look back at my life, those are the two like dramatic. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: Sort of traumatizing experiences. Yeah. So the question that I'm I'm running into is like, all right, is it again, if if I were to say, all right, let's take a story, and I'm trying to think of a comic that does this, and I get again it's it's Bill Cosby. Let's take a story of walking to the grocery store, buying groceries, and coming back home. And make that a compelling story, because then it's like, all right, this is not an incredible experience. This is technical skill. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and the, like, where do you even start? Because Bill, I mean, Bill Cosby has whole bits about like, like playing, um, like touch football in the street, mm-hmm. and it's a fascinating story. It's not, like, granted, a lot of that older stuff. Doesn't make you fall out of your chair laughing, but when you sit and listen to that old stuff, because I think the the sort of style of comedy has that changed. has changed, yeah. you know. So when you listen to some of that older stuff, it's like, all right, this is this doesn't hit very hard. Yeah. But you can sit in the chair because I I listen to Bill Cosby and all that old stuff like Richard Pryor, Carlin. I have all that stuff on vinyl, so like I'll sit with you know. A glass of water and a, and a, and a on a couch, <laughs> yeah, and put it put the record on and just listen to that stuff. Yeah, and maybe there's also there's some of the drama of how I'm listening to it that also makes it seem more interesting than what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but those stories, it's like I I just have to study more Bill Cosby to figure out not 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 <laughs> don't. <Yeah. laughs> I gotta look into Bill Cosby right. more. Yeah. I gotta Figure get into his shoes. <laughs> yeah. I gotta. How to
1: but, keep it under wraps for so long? Right, wh- yeah. where,
2: where, where Matt? Where can I get roofies yeah. today? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's one thing that I will give Dave Chappelle. That again, that's one of the things I studied I him for no, specifically. Sorry, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Dave Chappelle is the all-time king of misdirect. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, his ability to say one thing and then tell a whole different story that takes you in a totally different direction, all to connect it back to that thing he said 15 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And this story, really, if you're paying attention, it builds to that thing. Like, you should have seen this coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's so fascinating in the way that he tells the story that you're completely distracted by his story, which is what makes the callback hit so much harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... The one
1: I've been seeing on rotation lately is when he was talking about... Uh, Kanye going from a billionaire to a millionaire. Done the chain the thing. Get yeah, 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 that yeah, chain yeah. back out. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I, I think one thing that could help along those lines, and this is something that you, when you're talking about Chappelle, he talks about himself, is Chappelle did study kind of like the African art of oral storytelling. And it's underrated, but like when you get to oral traditions in societies there's a whole skill of this is the central premise of this story i'm going to announce it up front and by the end of the lesson we will circle back around to that thing you know and when you're talking about like you know like when you get into the african traditions when you're talking about like the tales of anansi and stuff like that there is a spider yes (laughs) yes <laughs> i have a <laughs> go on i'll, I'll tell you <laughs> there there is a whole thing to be said for like kind of the comedic aspect of those stories because in an oral tradition you need to keep people entertained throughout the course of the story
0: mm-hmm. so when i was a kid i had this um there was this Jeez, oh, it was a like cassette tape that came with a book so it was like one little package thing and it's all these african folklore like stories and you can read along with the book as you listen to the story and i remember specifically how much of an idiot anansi's wife was so i'm assuming she's a spider as well but (laughs) what was the story oh he was (laughs) everyone in the village is planting peanuts right and Anansi is supposed to be planting peanuts because that's how everyone makes a living in their village. Okay. And Anansi tells his wife, "Hey, I have this bag of peanuts, and before I go plant them, can you roast them and salt them? That way, they'll just grow that way." <coughs> and she roasts and salts them, and then he goes out in the field and eats peanuts for the entire day. <laughs> and then it, it, and then the story goes when everybody else is harvesting, he has nothing, and all this other stuff. It just has to do with. Um, responsibility and, you know, being a good person that does the right thing and is honest and this will all come back to bite you when you're sort of reaping what you sow kind (laughs) of story.
2: Well, so this is kind of the fascinating thing on like a historical level with the oral traditions of Anansi is that he fully runs the gambit between absolute moron (laughs) and absolute unit because Mm -hmm. the whole point is he's kind of this trickster figure. So, you know, and when you're sharing the traditions of Anansi in the oral telling style, again, you're running back and forth between kind of like the comedic aspects of he's sitting in a field, like eating peanuts (laughs) and tricking his wife into, you know, like cooking them for him and tricking like a literal god of the moon to be like, yes, <clears throat> of course you should come down and hang out in this pit. It's the best pit ever. <laughs> it's <laughs> You should definitely, you know what I mean? And when yeah. you're talking about like the going back and forth of it, like it's entertaining from beginning to end because you're telling people this is how we achieved or this is how blank was achieved. Mm-hmm. But let me take you through this from when from its first inception to now you know and when you go back into kind of the comedic storytelling aspect uh, of not just that but of in general when you watch joey on stage when you watch ali when you watch Berbiglia and you know all the other storytellers they typically announce up front hey this goofy ass thing happened I am resolute that this goofy-ass thing happened. Come along with me, and I'll show you how. That's interesting. So I've never asked you, because I always
0: ask at the beginning, did you guys do any comedy this past week?
1: Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, we did. Um, we did a show at the Wickham Park Community Center. Was, oh, was, uh, that the, was that the MMA thing? Dude, it was actually really cool. It was last minute thrown together. Apparently, some of the fighters dropped out. So there were like three or two or three fights that dropped off the card. Yeah. And they needed to fill that space. And Duncan knew somebody. That knew somebody. And they hit <laughs> Duncan up. And Duncan's like, all right, I'll see who I can pull <laughs> in a 24-hour period. And, um, and we got out there. And, and it was way more of a crowd than I thought it would be, which was really cool. We performed from inside the cage, which was also really cool. Uh, But it was a bunch of people that were there to watch people beat shit out of each other (laughs) Mm. and had no idea there'd be comedy. And so kind of getting their energy out of them was a a reach. But the first thing I did when I got in the ring after it was my turn, Duncan had gone and EQ Manley had gone. Mm -hmm. And there was just like, there was something, we couldn't get the energy out of them. And so I was like, all right, I put on my best Bruce Buffer voice in this little five-foot-six frame, <laughs> and I belted out, it's time! <laughs> and, like, everybody turned, and I was like, yeah, I got you, fuckers. All right, I got to get some way to get some <laughs> energy out of you. And I started doing my material, and, like, there were people that were laughing, and there were people in the back that were chit-chatting. And there was a line for food and there was like one there was like one lady sitting with her husband that was just not having any of <laughs> any of the comedy just stung. there's always somebody right yeah. especially the more people you add to an audience um, and then
0: well especially when they didn't come for comedy exactly. like they're just they're like why, why is this being exactly. forced on my face right now so then now? we
1: had to like tailor jokes to you know the audience they said to make it family friendly but then after we were done the fighters and the announcers are all cursing F this, F that <laughs> yeah. and I'm like whoa what the fuck man you know but uh there was a table to the right that was like a bunch of dudes and i was gonna crowd work with them i was messing with them a little bit and i was like how do you guys all know each other and they're like oh we all train jiu-jitsu together we're black belts i'm like all right i'm gonna leave you guys alone we're gonna go over here oh uh, you, you should know? have doubled
2: down on that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been a great bumping mic situation if it had yeah. been like you and um, EQ in the ring at the same time going back and forth. <laughs> I, th- I think if Preach well. was on there, right? Yeah, Preach was on it
1: as well. He almost didn't show up. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, well, Duncan hit him up, and Preach had some plans going on, and then I hit him up because uh, Duncan was having trouble getting a hold of him, and I was like, hey, man, you got to get out here. There's a lot of people out here. At the very <laughs> least, this would be an awesome experience. And um, he's like, all right, I, you know, I'll drop everything, try to come out. And he got out like 10 minutes before I got on, off stage. I was supposed to bring him up, but he wasn't quite here yet. So Duncan went back up and almost got in a fight with a guy <laughs> at the in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Some guy was, you know, messing around. They, again, they're not all there for comedy. Somebody goes boo, you know, and I was like, "Who did that?" You know, he, he gets off this. the stage. <laughs> he walks all the way over there with the mic, you know, and I was like, "Don't do it, man!" Like, <laughs>
2: how great would it been the the duck and like like destroy, a dude? Because yeah. you would never <laughs> <laughs> expect that. Like. So then, because he was so committed
1: to it, I was like, "All right, you know, we're having fun. Let's make it funny, and that way, diffuse the situation." Yeah. And so I go behind the ring and I take the hammer and I hit the bell three times. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can't pick
0: fights at an MMA event. Yeah, we I have, know. Statistically speaking, yeah.
2: At least one person out of the audience yeah. can definitely kick your ass. And I bet yeah. you it's the guy with the balls to go boom, yeah, from the back of the
1: audience. He's not doing it for nothing. Yeah, yeah that was great. that was really cool. It was really cool experience. We stuck around for the fights. It was it wasn't. Pro wrestling, it was like straight up fights. the The first match was two kids doing just jujitsu, but one kid was like easily twenty five pounds more than the other kid, (laughs) and he just was slamming the kid, slamming the kid. But he held on the whole time. It was it was a good fight. Uh, I look forward to potentially doing this again with more preparation involved. We can advertise for comedy as well, so there's like a mix of people there for fight and for comedy. Comedy fans there to watch a fight, and fight fans there to watch comedy.
2: So yeah. hopefully, there's there like I used to do uh, judo competitively. Like, mm. what and the fuck? I said this every time.
0: This, like I said, he's 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 African Forrest Gump. Yeah. Like he just has like the I most mean, the, random the stuff. Fongs, oh, actually, like I actually did competitive judo for yeah. years. What?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, back in college, like I I used to. I was like a gold medalist in the state of Florida. See what I'm
0: saying? What the fuck? What have you been doing? Every time we every fat. time no, really we, every <laughs> time this every time we tell a story, yeah. Rafika's like, Oh, by the way, yeah. I also yeah. did like <laughs> I was like, oh He's you, the ever, Segal yeah, you ever Steven
2: Seagal yeah. of our done... <laughs> don't don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> don't not you Steven know I did for thirty five <laughs> <Hey>. years. <laughs> yeah, not Steven dude. Comedy's all no. about taking the audience's <laughs> <laughs> expectations <laughs> and hitting them with a punchline they didn't expect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and speaking in terrible <laughs> Spanish <laughs> <laughs> Can <laughs> start growing out of ponytail. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. yeah. With short curly hair, <laughs> I'm aiming for the ponytail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I I I used to do uh, Judo competitively, like for the like USF and stuff like that. And like when you're talking about like that 25 pound difference, mm-hmm. it's like the, it's difference. so big, even more in little like, kids, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so like. I've always been, like, a big dude, and, like, especially back in college, the thing that fucked me up the most is, like, when you go through the weight classes, you hit a point where it's, like, oh, uh, you are 13 stone, we have nobody in your weight class, in your age group, Mm -hmm. so the only people we can put you up against are, like, 50-year-olds who have (laughs) been doing this for 25 years, (laughs) and, like... The fact that I got any medals at all was surprising. But, like, you would, like, get into these matches where it's just, like, a dude who's, like, 54, six foot something, Mm -hmm. weighs, like, 350. And it's like, hey, man, this is my third year doing judo. Please just don't break anything. That's all I can ask of you before the fight. (laughs) Like...
1: That's funny. I've always kind of been a grappler. Like, we did some jujitsu when we were kids. I grew up with a brother two years younger than me, and we always fought, but we never threw hands. So it was always like this unspoken turned into a wrestling match. (laughs) Whoever got choked out, lost, and then (laughs) you know you're done. And so I kind of grew up doing most of that. I wish I would have got into wrestling or something else afterwards. We did uh... (laughs) a...
2: You when can, we went to church p- camp,
1: <laughs> I don't know if you guys went to, like, summer camps. or, oh, or yeah. anything.
2: Va- Vacation Bible school. Yeah, <laughs> so we went to
1: church camp, and it was, like, you know, girls in one dorm, guys in another dorm. There would be three bunk beds in one room, and we'd take all the mattresses off the bunk beds and set them <laughs> up in the middle of the floor and make a ring, and we'd have wrestling <laughs> matches. It was so cool, man. But I got put up, oh, I always got put up against bigger kids because there was nobody my size. And uh, I always held my own, man. I mean, if I didn't win, I, like, at least put up a fight. You know, a little wrestler, a little grappler, man. Matt Glidden
0: is the perfect size to be like, you ever see those stories where (laughs) a grown-ass man pretends to be in high school so he can play basketball (laughs) on the team? (laughs) (laughs) Matt Glidden should go to the nearest middle school and just (laughs) fuck kids up for two years.
2: It's like him versus Warren Davis. I would pull the twenty one Jump Street, but it would
1: have to be in middle school. Yeah, it it would have to be too young for high school.
2: Dude, I So you saying that just kicks the movie scene in my head where it's like you pretending to be, like, a kid and then a legit, like, Peter Dinklage or Warren Davis coming up and, like, schooling you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So I had this weekend... I had an interesting... interesting weekend. So I did... uh Well, the first one I did was... Uh, what's it called? Oh, man. It's uh, one of Helmets shows. Um, yeah. Out in Orlando. Yeah, but it's... uh Poor, poor choices. So it's a it's a tap room mm-hmm. that has like seventy five different beers on the wall type oh, so of thing.
1: Poor but P-O-U-R yeah. choices. Yeah, yeah. See clever, what they did? Clever. It's pretty clever. Yeah. Puns. Um. So
0: that one that oh, that one was rough. Like it was like there was there weren't that ma- wasn't that many people there. Um, and it was just pulling teeth, mm. like just getting people to like la- because. Like the um, the comic before me, they just they kind of stopped paying attention halfway through her set. Mm. So by the time I went up, they were having full blown conversations. Did but, she
2: bomb, or was <clears throat> was it just not conductive to comedy?
0: Uh a little of both, a little of both. And uh, the, I mean, to the point where, imagine if there's eight eight audience members. And they're having conversations. Mm. <laughs> there's like, n- there's there's nothing, yep. you know. Yep. Um, but to be fair, Adam Lowry closed it. Um, the mm-hmm. owner of Madcaps, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he one of the things that I got I got to write some more like raunchy material because one thing about raunchy material, it just cuts through. Like there's certain subject matters that force people to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean. And he went up there, and he got the energy back in the room. And I was like, all right, I need to, like... Because I was was able to get him a little bit with some crowd work and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after that, because there's only so much crowd work you can do in a room with eight people in it. Like, I just started to run out of shit to talk about.
2: Well, I mean, that's why shock jocks have been a thing forever. You know? Mm -hmm. Because, like, if you're riding in your car or someplace that's not conductive to comedy, and some dude's, like let me tell you about my weekend getting my asshole fingered by a midget. (laughs) Like, people are going to laugh out of, like, kind of, like, awkwardness and also, like, tune in to be, you know, kind of like we were talking about with the storytelling stuff of, like, you go, now I have to know what led (laughs) up to this situation. Yeah you know. Yeah, I
0: mean he yeah, he he just powered through it and then by halfway through his set he had him and he was able to just ride out for the rest of his set. Mm-hmm. So I was like that's something that I I need to adapt, you know, some of that stuff because I don't one of the things that's easy for me is doing like cleaner shows mm-hmm. because my material's not that dirty as it is. So all I got to do is make some language adjustments. Yeah. Um but it is nice to have cuz like sometimes like even like certain older crowds if you if nothing makes them laugh, a dick joke will make them laugh. It's
1: the <laughs> yeah. weirdest like it's the weirdest thing. That's that thing, man. Like the, all the old people in the nursing homes are all yeah. fucking each other, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you, know, you never would have thought about it. But, Yeah, yeah they
2: like dirty jokes too, apparently. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like somebody netted on Graham Graham's tits at like some point <laughs> in their life, you know. <laughs> so,
0: so that was that was Friday. And then and they did they did one of the things there that I want if, if I run a room, God I want to do this so bad. They set up uh they have a food truck set up right in front of the front door. So even though it's just a place that serves beer, mm-hmm. it it you end up having this whole thing where the food trucks out front, so people are at the food truck and then they bring their food inside and they're able to watch the show and it makes it I, so I wanna run a show um where it's a weekly comedy thing, and mm. you rotate out different food trucks. So then, then people come not just for the comedy, but they know every single week it's going to be it's a different event. food truck. So it creates this yeah. vibe to it, you know.
1: That's one thing Long Live Vintage was doing really well in Winterhaven for a while. They were doing, yeah. they were rotating food trucks. Really? Yep.
0: Yeah, I haven't done one of those. I got to, but it's not. They moved. Oh, okay. They aren't yeah.
1: by LOL anymore. Oh, okay. They're About fifteen minutes out, they're kind of getting situated in a new place. All
0: right. but that's not a paid show, right? that's just a no
1: it's a mic that's a a mic
2: they're planning on having paid shows eventually it's like now in a bowling alley Yeah. so it's like there's kind of like the restaurant area which has a stage and I think there's supposed to be there's a plan
1: for like a small theater room that they have yeah okay yeah that'd be cool
2: like it I mean so I say it's in a bowling alley but like Functionally it it's like an entertainment center yeah. of a dead <laughs> mall. <Yeah. laughs> you're, not, you're not talking over crashing yeah. things the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um so th- so that was Friday and then Saturday I didn't perform on the show, but I went to um, see Carlos Mencia. Nice. Mm. Um so I met um, Carlos
2: and Eugene were Yeah, both Eugene out there. Torres, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um great show.
2: Yeah.
0: Um I I drove home. And went into a bit of depression on the way home watching, watching Carlos on stage because I was like, so, so Carlos does the first, show, I saw the first show. The second show was packed to the point where I just like, I just left because I was like, there's not enough room in here. I, I'm just going to leave. Mm-hmm. But um, he did, I think an hour and 45.
1: Damn. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and the only reason why he didn't go longer was because there was a second show. So there were they were people so the <laughs> the second show supposed to start at 9. And I'm looking. so so they have a, they have at the improv they have they brought a clock. I don't know why they bothered cuz Carlos didn't give a shit, but they, they put a clock at the DJ booth so you could from the stage you could see what time it was. Uh-huh. The shows are 7 and 9. nine. <laughs> at 9:40 Carlos is still on stage performing for the first group of people. Holy shit! <laughs> and man. the rest of everybody is just in the Standing lobby of the improv. The there's lobby. a there's a line. You know, how they say like the line's out the door. The line was like out the door, and then it curled like a spiral because they just th- there was so many people with nowhere to go. There was hundreds
1: of people in the lobby of the improv. That's what, was that the Orlando
2: improv? Or Orlando, was Orlando,
1: Orlando. Oh, okay. <laughs> so was it? And, was he storytelling? Was it jokes? D- d-
0: both okay because i imagine but, for an hour and 45 but he minutes. just
1: had it honestly not
0: that much just a ton of material yeah just and yeah. that's that's what made me sort of depressed about it because i had a I had a realization of you know the that danger of being like a big fish in a small pond kind of mm-hmm. thing and i was like you know i don't personally see that much value in going to see like famous comics yeah Simply because I I get nervous of having other people's material in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that scares the shit out of me. That's fair, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is personality-wise, I struggle with. Like, I could have very easily probably met Carlos Mencia, and I didn't, just because like I hate that thing of, hey man, I'm a I'm a new comic. Yeah, I you just never know want what to, to say. you know what I mean? And yeah. and I have it in the back of my mind is like. I'm going to get to know these people along the line at some point. Yeah. You're I don't, like, don't want to say
1: the same thing that he hears all day. Exactly.
2: Well, I mean, you know, Eugene, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's just, no, no, no. I was, I was like 10 feet from Carlos. Yeah, like, know,
1: multiple the, yeah, times. It's, it's not the end. That was the problem. Yeah. It it's the just the like, what
0: conversation yeah. am I about to have right now? That's not like a hack. Oh, I do yeah. comedy too. And blah, 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 you know? Um,
2: I always think in those situations it's not you know to your point it's not about the end but it's like they're like they're just people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in those situations I always go the conversation that should be had is like hey Eugene let's chat and then uh, eventually you know when Carlos gravitates into that situation you don't go oh I'm a comic too you go hey man what do you think about this yeah you know kind <clears> of <throat> kind of like this podcast is yeah <laughs> you know because you know th- since they're just people too it becomes this whole thing of like oh well you know i think this is bullshit and then you fire back with like are you sure it's bullshit or you know <laughs> yeah. like yeah. what one of my favorite memories in comedy talking about Burt is like <laughs> Back in the day, you know, like, we were, ta- like, we did a show, like, the Call and Stick to Work tour. Yeah. And, like, uh, it's, like, me, this guy named Choquette, uh, I forget who the feature was, and, like, Bert is in the back of the improv talking to his mom and dad. Yeah. And, like, we're just taking a photo Like, because we're like, yeah, you know, just leave him to take us And, like, he screams from, like, the other side of the bar. He's like, what the fuck, man? You guys are taking a photo without me? It's like... that dude. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He's that guy.
2: But I think most comics are that guy, you know? Because, like, we want to be in it. Like, no matter what's going on, we want to be in it, you know? (laughs) Even if we want to be left alone, we're just like what do you mean the feature is taken from <laughs> an, from, an over, yeah, from an
1: overthinker's perspective? I completely get his thought process of it though. Like every horrible scenario is going on in the back of my head. I'm going to go up and I'm going to say this and it's going to be the same thing he's always heard and he's going to look at me blankly and he's going to say thanks and he's going to move on. I'm going to be like, why did I? Well, I feel like I also feel like, cause I've had
0: these experiences of being like kind of in the room with certain, like famous comics and not like reaching out yeah because the other thing is 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 this person that's what um when we were in new york and i um i stopped and i shook godfrey's hand and then chris stefano was standing like right out there and after shaking godfrey's hand <laughs> i had a moment of like godfrey is never gonna remember this mm this is half of a second interaction. Uh-huh. This is of no value to him or me. And then I just walked past Chris Stefano and didn't bother to say shit to him. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like, this is, it's just going to be that thing I just did with Godfrey yeah. over again. Mm. And it'll have no meaning to it. You know?
1: How long ago was this?
0: This was, uh, this is in front of the Comedy Cellar like a year ago or something yeah. like that. And it was like, you know what? I'm no longer gonna do this. Yeah. Yeah. If I if I'm in a situation that was the same thing with like with Carlos, I was like, you know what? If I'm in a situation where it's just me and Carlos standing there mm-hmm. or whatever, I'll have a conversation. Or if a conversation's happening, I'll that just join cool. it. Yeah. Like but in terms of saying. going over and like forcing the meeting, I, I'm never gonna do this ever again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and not that Godfrey did anything; he was super nice. Yeah. But it was just like we're on the street in new york and it's a passing moment and it's like oh, okay bye like, yeah, so it's like yeah. what's the, i'm not doing this anymore
1: yeah um no, that makes sense
0: but i was in the car driving home rethinking my entire life <laughs> 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 just because again i had lost track of that again the danger of that being the big fish in a small pond kind of thing because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. our scene here is so small and we don't have that many people at the top end Where you can either learn from or compete with and that sort of thing. So to watch Carlos go up and kill for an hour and 45 minutes, I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, they say it takes roughly 10 years to really become a professional comedian. Mm -hmm. I'm five years in. And I feel like I'm a professional comedian, right? Then you see someone who's 25 years in, again, destroy the room for an hour and 45 minutes. And it's like, oh, okay. Now I can see where there's years in between me and this person. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Um, so it, it was, it's it's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Because like, okay, I can I can get there. Yeah. But there's still years. Yeah. Yeah. You well,
1: know? Where that where that would depress you, I would say to kind of use that as fuel. Oh for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um it's just one of those things of like I need I need to spend more I need to spend more time traveling. Yeah, yeah, and it's not force. and not doing mm-hmm. stuff locally. Like I enjoy doing stuff locally, mm-hmm. um, but what it does is it it I'm comparing myself to people that are new, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I don't like you know like if anything you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. As a comic, you do not want to be the funniest person in the room. Yeah. If you find yourself being in rooms where you're consistently one or two funniest people in the room you'll continue to grow but i could i could tell spending time there like i had the same experience at the comedy cellar yeah where i was like oh this is the first time in a long time there are multiple people in this room significantly better than me mm-hmm. and i can see where that facilitates a level of growth that would be extremely hard to mimic in an environment like this yeah um iron, but it's
2: iron iron.
1: Yeah. Well, not only that, but just putting yourself in in a higher, challenging situations. My little brother was significantly better than me at soccer because he always played with me and my friends, two three years older than him, and he destroyed people at his age group because of that. And then got into university yeah. and all that same kind of concept. Put yourself yeah. in. Well, again, I-
2: iron sharpens iron. Yeah. You know, like you, if you want to prove your metal, you know, you should consistently be the man in the arena. Mm -hmm. And when the arena no longer has challengers for you, you should either bring those challengers in, you know, create a thing in which people want to come in, or you need to go find a bigger arena. Yeah. You know, I we've kind of joked about it before, but, like, for me, there is something significantly fun about... Going with a headliner to a place, dominating my portion of the set, and then turn around and be like, follow that shit, motherfucker. Yeah. You know, and you should always want to be on either end of that spectrum mm-hmm. of either, oh, this kid thinks he's got me. I'm going I'm to show him what real comedy is like. Yeah. Or you should be looking at the people around you going, hey, man, you want to see what's real funny? Watch me in twenty minutes. Do what you can't do in like forty five.
1: Yeah, but put yourself in those situations where you sit back and look around the room and go, "Holy shit! How do I get like these guys?" That's how you get better.
0: And I don't know. I don't know where to go to find that locally, and by locally I mean the state of Florida. Yeah, because I've been all over the state of Florida. And other than going to the improv and hanging out with famous comics, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that there's much of anything that I find intimidating left. Yeah. You know?
2: What that sounds like is, and it sucks, but, like, it sounds like what you need to do is join more big-name festivals. Yeah. The kind of thing where it's like, hey, we... We stole your forty-five dollars, but we also yeah. scoured like <laughs> scoured like two thousand people coming up to this festival, and we selected twenty out of those two thousand as the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know you're gonna be out again forty-five bucks or whatever. But oh like, yeah, this. I mean,
0: <laughs> I probably. Oh, this year I probably spent a hundred bucks applying special, to um festivals. Yeah. I never
2: like. It's not much, but there's always a portion of me that goes, "It's great if you want to get up in front of bookers." You know what I mean? Like you should never. I I'm big on the uh, opinion of like you should never go to a comedy festival with the illusion of this is my make or break. All right. I don't think you should you- do that with any. Yeah, you show can. Or uh, you-, you can in some instances. Like if you. If you if you're opening up Madison Square Garden, like you can definitely be like, this is my that? make yeah, or break. Yeah. Like well, that's a big deal. Here's, you know. a, here's
0: the thing, though. Also about comedy that I'm that I'm starting to again change my mind on. Nobody cares about the opening act. Oh no. no. Mm-hmm. So, even this idea of being like, oh man, I'd love to open for such and such on the road. I don't know how much that that actually helps because you're just the guy in front of yeah. such and such. Yeah.
1: Well, I've gone to shows and looked up the opening act after, w- if they crushed. Yeah. Like, uh I, <laughs> I can't think of the guy's name right now off the top of my head, but I know that I've looked him up, and, you know, he's probably got some oh, that. Guy? Of that. Yeah. yeah, that no-name that you don't guy remember? that I don't <laughs> remember right now. But if I looked him up again, he opened for Joe Coy. And okay. And he just... It was at the King Center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Joe's
0: Coy's coming back to the King Center. He is, and I, I want. Dec- oh man, I'm I am going to do everything in my power to try and get Joe Coy on this podcast, dude. <laughs> like, <I'm laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that would be so cool. Because yeah. everyone that so what I do is I keep track of the King Center um, calendar, mm-hmm. and every famous guy. I, I sent a um I sent an email to Jim Gaffigan's manager mm-hmm. when of course. All ignored. All ignored. Dude, put uh, him but out. yeah, put him out there, baby. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Nick DiPaolo mm-hmm. came to this, did this sh- big show in Daytona. Reached out to his, you know, management. So just keep, I'm um, just keep, and hopefully one of these days, yeah. <laughs> yeah. somebody's gonna be like, yeah, he's in town with nothing to do. Yeah, like when uh Jerry Seinfeld did the King Center a few years ago, mm-hmm. I uh a bunch of people ran into him in downtown Melbourne. Cause he was in town, and he was bored, yeah, and he yeah. wanted to get something to eat. And Jerry Seinfeld was just walking That's around in downtown so Melbourne. Cool man. And I was like, ah, shit! I'm like, you know, Imagine <laughs> had just I known being there. And to be honest, if I was smart, Jerry Seinfeld's in Melbourne. Just spend the day on a bench in downtown Melbourne, mm-hmm. because statistically, where else is he going to go? Yep. You know, if he wants to go to a restaurant, you know what I mean.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so like, there's a, I mean, that kind of goes back though to your. Earlier thing of like, what are you going to go up to and be like, exactly, I am yeah. awesome a cop yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, so he, I've <laughs> been like, waiting here on this bench
0: all <laughs> no, day for no, you. Here's the thing, though. I would have an interesting <laughs> thing to talk to Jerry Seinfeld about.
2: Yeah, the fact that you waited on a bench all day. <laughs> well, no, because you're doing <laughs> the cars thing.
0: No, 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 no. Okay. If you look on my shoulder, I don't know if there's you see it.
2: Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I, I can see it yet. now. There's
0: a tattoo sure, on then. my shoulder. It's a Jerry Seinfeld quote the only tattoo i have okay and jerry seinfeld hates tattoos <laughs> <laughs> so oh i God. would love to go up to him and ag- like, annoy like, hey, the yeah. shit out of him <laughs> <laughs> with the fact that a, something he said is tattooed <laughs> on my shoulder <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so the and, by, and and just before people clown me for having yeah. jerry seinfeld quote tattooed <laughs> on me this was before <laughs> i was a comic and it was so my goal is and i i'll do it eventually But my goal is to have, like, I want the like the left side of my body to be a book of wisdom. So like, just significant things said by various people. Like the next one I'm gonna do is a Jordan Peterson quote that says, "You should be the strongest person at your father's funeral." Mm -hmm. That just has, I think, to me has a ton of very deep meanings. (laughs) Rafik is looking at me because i guess, guessing he has opinions about Jordan Peterson. I have
2: so many <laughs> opinions about Jordan uh, <laughs> Um,
0: But so my goal was to do like a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. And this was, I, I got this first one when I was 400 pounds and I was talking to the tattoo artist and I was like, so if I lose weight like over time, like what's gonna, you know, what happens to, you know, the tattoos? And he's like, well, if you lose a little bit of weight, nothing will happen but if you lose a ton it might warp and you know change things or whatever whatever so it's like you know what i'm not gonna get any more until i get way closer to my and i'm way closer than i was at 400 pounds but mm-hmm. i'm still pretty far away so i'm not gonna do anything so because of that jerry Seinfeld's the only quote <laughs> yeah, so I'm it looks cr- i'm not that big because people are like who's that big a jerry <laughs> seinfeld fan i'm like no no no! Yeah. i'm not that big a jerry seinfeld fan it just so happens that he was the first quote that i got and then i decided not to get any more i have a whole i have like a um a word document of all the various yeah. you know quote there's actually <laughs> i thought it was going to be funny i was going to get one of jerry seinfeld and directly below it, the next one's going to be Hitler. That the N-word. No, going to be Hitler. Word. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, Hitler. The, yeah. <laughs> it's like, who are these Jews? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that would have been an interesting conversation. So I, now I got to know. What, what, just give us a light, your Jordan Peterson. Because <laughs> oh, no. I think he's great. Yeah.
2: I think Jordan Peterson, and I'm saying this as kindly as I can... ...is a stuffed-up moron. (laughs) Even the quote you just said, out of context, sounds, at least to me, sounds dumb as fuck. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Just think about it. You're at a funeral Mm -hmm. for your father. Right. Right. And the quote is, to be the strongest man at your father's funeral? You should be the strongest
0: person at your father's funeral, yeah.
2: Okay, one, like, who are you fighting at your dad's funeral? (laughs) It's it's not a physical thing. I I, I get that. But, like, (laughs) even then, I go, like, what what does that, like, what real meaning does that have in a societal context? Everybody else
1: in your family is breaking down and so because your father is no longer there to be like the anchor for the family you now need to be that guy to kind of keep everybody yeah together. but you should
2: have already been that dude way before
0: but like what you're the talking point about is when, the actual deadline is your father's funeral right? when
2: you're talking about patriarchs and like a patriarchal society in this context like when your father is on the decline yeah. You should have been that guy way before. So the idea of like... You should have been the guy stronger
1: than your father. Because the point is like in a room, your father
0: (laughs) is the... (laughs) I'm sorry, Ruffick is just a hater of Jordan Jordan Pearson (laughs) because he's fumbling. Like
1: when you hate someone that much, you'll look for every little (laughs) thing for them to look stupid.
2: Like it's not even that. Again, I'm just talking about like when we're speaking specifically on this quote in this context. I go... That's a line that sounds cool, mm-hmm. but doesn't mean anything. And I feel like, by and large, that's the problem with Jordan Peterson. I feel like he says a lot of things that sound cool to people who are looking for like strength in certain situations mm-hmm. or to prove themselves, kind of like the superior male. If you go along with his ideology, I feel like but you're when you're comparing you, him to Andrew Tate, <laughs> when you when you look when you look at him like. His I have no problem with Tate
0: either. And I can't <laughs> wait to have that conversation.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm such a fence sitter. So like, I don't really have strong opinions in one direction or another with most yeah. people.
2: Like, look, if you want to like Jordan Peterson, I go, that's full. You're right. Yeah. And I'll support that. But again, I go on a intellectual level. When I hear a quote like that, my brain just devolves to like this dumb motherfucker. <laughs> like, the, I, why, it like, makes sense. It's it's a, it, it it's a quote make
0: that makes sense,
2: perhaps to you. And yeah. again, I'll fully grant you but, that but I might me, be wrong. But tell me, but, but
0: like, so so, give me how it doesn't make
2: sense. Again, at least to me, mm-hmm. on an intellectual level, when you go, you have to be the strongest man at your father's funeral. I go one, like. When you're talking well, he, about, it the didn't ex- say man; it, it said person. Person,
1: don't don't be sexist. Fine, it doesn't. <laughs>
2: man or woman or okay. undisclosed gender. It's <laughs> also, not
1: to say that but, you didn't already have strength. Yeah. By the time you got there,
2: I'm saying that you should like again in that context. I go one. You're hitting a point where it's like okay, excluding other family members. Right. It's saying everyone has kind of like this personal responsibility to be like strong and, you know, disciplined or whatever. And mm-hmm. I go, again, you should have been that way before this. So to say, if the line was something like, you should be the strongest person at your father's decline, I go, all right, that's more acceptable to me. But it, to say at his funeral makes me feel like if you're. Being like a decent person and developing yourself, mm. you're that thing way beforehand. So I don't understand why we're giving this weird arbitrary deadline of your father's funeral. But I think that's it's less like, about the deadline like, and more about yeah, just the role the, of a father. The
0: principle. Okay, because because like, the... that'd be like saying you should know how to swim before you go on a cruise. That doesn't mean that you don't learn how to swim before the cruise. But it means that once you go on a cruise, this is where you're gonna really want to know how to swim. That's a weird analogy. Yeah,
2: I was with you like two thirds <laughs> the way. I was like, I guess the boat's sinking. <laughs> <laughs> like what's... <laughs> I think I'm a fence sitter
1: because I can see from I I I put myself in these situations. I can see from everyone's perspective. So like I like with lefts and rights. Let's be like. Bland as possible, left and right of the political spectrum. I can see, like, the reason they think certain ways, but then I also see why they're wrong here and why they're wrong there. And so, like,
2: uh, again, I'm
1: just a full on and go
2: Jordan P. You got to clean retarded. your room. <laughs> uh, so, I like. If we're talking about more than just this quote, like there's a laundry list of things that Jordan Peterson <laughs> that I go like this dude is fucking retarded. I gotta hear this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let So what's if, wrong?
0: What's wrong with the clean your room thing? So he, for anyone, anyone listening doesn't know. Like so now, he has right? this <laughs> entire philosophy about how if someone's depressed or going through some sort of mental health issues and they're struggling, the first thing you do is you clean your room. Because the act of cleaning your room gives you an easy, short-term win that then helps you to relax and organize your mind, which then bleeds into other areas of your life.
2: So, okay, in this... And for this example, because, again, we're drifting from what we were talking about originally. In this example, I understand what he's talking about there. And I don't disagree with the idea of, like, short-term victories can help build, like greater mental strength Mm -hmm. but again that's one of those things about mental health in general where i go you're ignoring what is possibly a larger issue going on with a person and subscribing it to personal failure as opposed to like if you have a chemical imbalance because you are naturally born depressed going oh you just need to clean your room and get your shit together to like, get, like build towards greater mental strength. I go it's like, just, you dumb motherfucker! Like Rufi- you- it's one of those. It's one of those
1: small things you actually have control over. Obviously, some people need medication. Rafiq's
0: gonna hate it. me so much because <laughs> I agree with Andrew Tate when he said depression is fake and doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Holy shit. So let me, let me
0: tell you. Let me tell you why. Oh,
2: man. <laughs> let me man tell you I, why. I, I feel so bad because uh, now. Yeah, because I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> because now let, you're let me, sitting between the both of us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, look at that. I got to get out of yeah. here. <laughs> this
3: is
0: crazy. Here, here's, here's why. Here's why. and, and I, Not 100%, but I think that that's true for about 80% of people out there. So my experience that I had at the mental hospital when I was in middle school and I was suicidal and all that stuff. Mm. One of the things that I noticed that was striking when I got there is the, like, the thing that I got out of it wasn't from any of the therapy stuff. Wasn't from any of the, you know, I actually didn't let them give me medication. I refused to take medication. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't from any of the group conversations. It was just perspective. So me, being a kid living in the suburbs with two, you know, parents that were doing very well and not having many hardcore real world problems, I thought when my house burned down, it was like the end of the world and my parents were divorced and da 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 right? Mm -hmm. I go to this place and what I learned more than anything was I met kids who'd been molested, Mm -hmm. like over and over and over again, I met kids who uh, had their family member murdered in front of them. You know, um, I met kids who a- accidentally killed someone.
1: Yeah,
0: I met so and after going through that experience, I was like, "Oh, we are." I what I did was blow regular shit out of proportion mm-hmm. and allowed it to get in my head to a level yeah and i still have some of those tendencies to spiral into depression but what i go back to is again not any of the exercises it's perspective of quit being a pussy yeah there are people right now who is your age Right here in Melbourne, Florida, mm-hmm. that's a 30-year-old guy with a kid, and he just found out his kid has cancer. So, now now, granted, I still haven't solved all my problems. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: It's a excellent mindset to get yourself out of
2: yeah. like, going too deep. But yeah. that yeah, also sure. doesn't mean, though, that the things that you struggled with aren't valid. Or Are insignificant. I yeah. mean, yeah. like, the, you know, in this context, you know, there's a... 30 year old man who goes, Oh, I stubbed my toe this morning and then has to look at you and go, like, well, at least I didn't burn my house down. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, like whatever <laughs> the
1: opposite of the grass is always greener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like the grass can always be browner yeah. on his lawn. Like, <laughs>
1: grass is more burnt yeah. over yeah. there.
0: Yeah. But I mean uh,
2: <laughs> I d- again, like I'm um, I'm willing to accept that perhaps there is something in me that does not connect with these ide- ideologies. Yeah. But
0: well I mean this, you have a you have a degree in psychology, don't you? Yeah. Okay.
2: But part of and so part of the issue that I have with Jordan Peterson and people like that is I watch how they talk and what they say and a lot of it just ends up being these kind of meaningless at least to me empty kind of ideologies where i go this is either like a group think like a uh, proposition that you're making you're either engaging in tribalism or you're engaging in this kind of like narrow-minded double talk which in turn like is not seeing something that's actually going on in our society as an issue mm-hmm. you're saying suck it up buttercup things could be worse and it's like yeah, man, they could be worse. That doesn't stop the house from being on fire, though. <laughs> like, we can address a problem without just going, oh, it's your personal failure to overcome this. But I wonder, so here's, here's the thing,
0: when you talk about, like, society at scale, I don't know how this comedy podcast went here, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but what if... Right, what if because because again, this is where i i I agree with the Andrew Tate thing from having that experience at that mental hospital and 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 frankly, being around comics, I see a bunch i I think I know a few people that have a chemical imbalance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people that are pussies, yeah, that whine and complain and don't take any accountability. And what I wonder is if the Jordan Peterson suck it up buttercup would work for 90% of society, right? And 10% are actually have this chemical imbalance. And I wonder if it, it would be more effective to push to socially push suck it up buttercup and then save the other stuff for the mental hospitals where those people will wind up anyway. Because would it be better for society as a whole to rather than have... like I think there's way too many people going to therapy. I'm so sick and tired of hearing broke people talking about they're going to therapy. I'm like, listen. I don't got money for therapy, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> listen. This is not like... Because an experience that I had with um, a counselor um, that was a family family friend of ours... Um, he's actually the pastor that married me and my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the the um, he helped us at one point. And what was interesting so about you
2: mean him? Therapy worked for you. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here, but here my point. But here's my
0: point. Number one, it was a, it was a pastor that we went to. The person yeah. who married us that had like, like that connection yeah. to us. But his thing was, he's like, all right, we're going to talk for six weeks, and at the six weeks, you're going to be done. This is what we're going to get to in these six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, you will be able to move on on your own and handle this, the, these issues on your own from here and out. Mm-hmm. And what I remember from being in the mental hospital, going to therapists as a kid, and all that other stuff, that was never the mentality. No, the mentality is you keep, is and you keep doing therapy there. forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same way that pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry is a racket. That's designed to keep you... Because Chris Rock has that joke. The money's not in the cure. The money's in the medicine. Right. Keep you just healthy enough to where you keep needing the medicine. And I think a lot of the mental health stuff is keep you... Just don't kill yourself next week so you can come back (laughs) and give me some more money.
2: I, I think what you're talking about there, at least from my perspective, you know, is... The problem you're talking about on a societal level is the fact that we don't treat mental health as health. It shouldn't be a situation—because, you know, we're humans. Everyone's got to go through life, essentially— this is going to sound way bleaker than I mean it too, but essentially alone, (laughs) like (laughs) you are always going to be you, that you are married, you have your family, but there's always at some point in time during the day when you are going to be alone with yourself, you know, and that's not a bad thing. And it's not a bad thing to build up that kind of psychological callous for less of a better term between you and adversity, right? But on a kind of global societal scale, it shouldn't be shunned either to go, hey, man, I am constantly sad. I am constantly having issues. I wish there was treatment or something that could help me with that. And to go just like you should with a regular doctor, Mm -hmm. to go, Hey, every year or every six months, I sit down with a trained professional who looks at what I'm going through in my day-to-day life, and we have a conversation about how we can make improvements. Yeah. If you are the kind of person who overeats... Right. And you find yourself at the end of the year going to a doctor going, hey, I have high blood pressure. How can I treat this and make this better? Right. It should be a well, you need to lose weight and this is what you can do. But also go talk to Greg down at the end of the hall so we can find out why you overeat in the first place. right. And then Greg could go like, oh, yeah. So these things that you experienced in your childhood you know, lead you to find comfort in these things because we understand there is a chemical connection between, you know, sugar and what you experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so in that regards, like, yeah, maybe not everyone needs therapy to the extent that's pushed in kind of popular media, but everybody should have relative access to to therapy to go, hey man, are you having a rough time? Let's find out if this is to your point a chemical imbalance or the result of a series of life choices. Because everyone does have personal responsibility, but I think we overlook what that what personal responsibility means and what it means on a on a societal level. You know like you you like again you know like the things that happened to you as a child are valid you shouldn't dismiss those just because you know oh i didn't get out of therapy what everyone else got out of therapy i just had to learn to suck it up yeah. it's like yeah maybe that works for you but you know like if Like Matt, you have kids. Yep. You know, like if one of your boys experienced something terrible, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to just be like, hey, suck it up and bury whatever terrible thing happened to you (laughs) deep down, Mm -hmm. you know. You would want them to feel free to come and talk to you so you could reason and understand and you know And like
1: tell them to suck it the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would find a balance, but you're not gonna be top G G crying like a bitch. Yeah, (laughs) being a little pussy.
2: And and that I guess that's the thing that I, the reason why I don't like Jordan Peterson and like guys like him, is their kind of default expression always seems to boil down to, "Why you being a bitch?" Yeah, as opposed to, "Hey man." Let's find out what actually happened and how we can improve. Have it. Have you heard
1: his perspectives, like with his kids and like spending time with them and, and teaching them to so, grow? And
2: yeah, so like I've I, again, because he's know, not
1: just like the whole hard ass. It's suck it not, and... but there's
2: there's an. This goes back to what I was talking about before with like uh, tribalism, double talk, and like kind of the undercurrent of a lot of his speech. Yeah. Because when you study how he talks, and this is me trying to be as fair as possible Mm -hmm. the undercurrent of how he talks is very relevant to how a lot of cult leaders talk and that's not me just clowning on him that's me being like no we've done studies because like there was a study done, I think, in like 2009, where they compared like a lot of similar people in that industry, mm-hmm. like Tony Robbins, Ben Shapiro, uh, Jordan Peterson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and like the. I love Tony Robbins. <laughs> the The connection between how those speakers talk yeah. is also the same kind of dialogue that a lot of cult leaders have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a lot of hand motions. No, I no, no. I don't I don't know. Know. <laughs> no to Tony Robbins. Like, Hitler yeah. speeches
1: and Mussolini and all that. No, Tony Robbins does, hands. like, this, like, big yeah.
0: hands yeah, thing. Yeah, the jazz hands. Yeah. All right, right,
1: I am going to cut out of here. Yeah, no, <laughs> I he's, want 15 he's, minutes long. It's not a big
0: he's deal. He's leaving. He's uh, leaving.
1: Well, yeah, any... uh Well, could we can end here. Yeah, I mean, tonight, an apology. I mean, I don't know if the show this will be out, but... Every Monday night, get out there. Uh, t- <laughs> tomorrow, Tuesday the 13th, I'll be at Moon Room. Uh, the 14th is the Asking for a Friend improv show I'm doing with An- Anthony Papali and Jimmy Moynihan. Yeah. Uh, the first show was actually really cool. I'm um, looking forward to how this thing grows and all that. What's it's, the concept yeah, of the first show? It's um, So it's Asking for a Friend. Audience shows up. They write their problems down on a card. They put it in a bucket. <laughs> We read it off, we make kind of jokes, but we also ultimately try to help them solve the problem. I want to join one day and do crazy. the
0: Andrew Tate thing and just Dude. be like, why don't you just get off your ass and stop <laughs> being such a <you're> pussy <laughs> and fix your life instead of being a stupid ass bitch coming up to comedy shows, writing yeah. things in a bucket and yeah. giving yeah. it to strangers to ask them, how the fuck are you going to ever be somebody? <laughs> but I, I think eventually Best we're shows. planning on <laughs> rotating like,
1: guest comics in to get that fresh perspective. Yeah. Uh, this show is um, sponsored by Domino's Pizza. Really, really looking <laughs> (laughs) forward to to seeing where that goes so that'll be this wednesday 14 Laurie street over by appliance direct off of babcock uh the 15th thursday i'm guest spotting at the lol in winter haven for the juggernaut show and then the 16th rudy invited me to do cocktails and comedy at bitters and bottles i think Mm -hmm. it's cocktails and comedy i know it's at bitters and bottles um this friday for his kind of farewell show, sort of.
2: Oh, is he leaving already?
1: Well, he's soon, like in a week or two or something like that. Okay, like, this is his last one out there. I think that's what it was. I'll have to reread the text, but. Um,
0: oh my god, I just realized something.
1: That we're losing Rudy.
0: No, um, well, <laughs> <laughs> lost past tense. Someone else. Yeah. Um, I would mm-hmm. like to take a moment, um, uh, moment of silence for Genesis. Genesis, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, um, I'm looking at um, Saturday the 17th um, at 11 o'clock in the morning. I believe it's his funeral. Um, yeah. So any comics that you know, know and love Genesis, I don't know what, like, invitation-wise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, who's invited or whatever. But I was definitely going to come out and just pay my respects um, because Genesis was amazing. Um, he was just one of the coolest b be- He was one of those people where... It was always exciting when he was talking to you because he was like, because I have always felt like this guy's way too cool to be talking to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like why? Is, <laughs> why is he treating me so friendly when yeah. he's like <laughs> the, the like the character from like Shaft or something right, like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's way too cool to <laughs> yeah. be talking to me right now. <laughs> That's such a
2: weirdly apt description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um.
0: But yeah, Genesis will definitely be missed. Um. I appreciate him just being so kind to everyone. Yeah. Um. And I was actually, I was really. It really made me sad because the last time I saw him was at Pineapples and I was asking him about coming to do this podcast because he was one of the headliners that I wanted to sit down with and Mm. have one of those long interviews where we talk about, you know, from the minute he started comedy all the way up till now. um, And I'll never be able to have that conversation with him. So it's Mm. sad. So, again, thank you, Genesis, for being so nice to us. Um, Let me see what else I got here. Um, I am... (laughs) Later on that same day, I am opening for a belly dancing show. What?
3: <laughs> Are you going to be participating? No, definitely. <laughs> <when Editing laughs> Chris and the Seven Veils. Yeah. <laughs> I want see those things bounce <laughs> your titties, man.
0: But um, the next thing is uh, next weekend, I'll be at the uh, Lo- Looney's Comedy Contest up in Minnesota. Um, so I'll be in Minnesota for most of the next week. I'm um, doing multiple shows. So I'm going to bring yep. some of my podcast equipment out there and I'm going to try. So uh, Jimmy J.J. Walker is going to be on the festival. Cool. Um, Jamie Kennedy is going to be on the festival. What? Yeah, um, A bunch of bookers, um, people that book for Carnival crews and a bunch of other stuff are going to be at the festival. So my goal is to bring some bring podcast equipment out and try to interview all of those people over the course of the festival to be able to just, you know,
2: have that conversation. Yeah. 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 And be able
0: to bring back and share with everyone. Also, the the grand prize of the contest is $10,000, so, you know, nice that'd be bonus. cool. Yeah, 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 yeah That'd yeah. be cool. It, nice it would park. be, you know, a little
2: be nice. Right. Nice. It's <laughs> nice, yeah. a little. A
0: couple Not famous. expecting it, but, you know, it would right. be cool. Um,
2: Me- meanwhile, I will be making under $10,000 <laughs> uh, because I'm going to be hosting at a Gregory's Comedy Club this nice. upcoming weekend. Uh, awesome. This is your first so. weekend there, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm treating it like an audition, so it's going to be... I'm hosting for like three nights, so I yeah. have to bring like three different five minute sets. Yeah. You know. Uh, they, oh, that's right, because they, they cut it, the host set down to five minutes. Yeah.
0: yeah it used to be way long. They used to want the host to do like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been the Funny Style Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Robinson. And as always, good night. Well, always good night. That doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Why would I handle <laughs> it like that? That doesn't make sense. You don't terrible. know. They could be listening to <laughs> this <can> series the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>